Nervous Habits. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. The <laughs> the beginning of this episode might sound a little bit different. It's a little bit jarring to be recording it um, like this because uh, I actually um, got rid of the theme song to the pod. Um, if you listen to the show before, you know it usually starts off with uh, with the twenty second theme and then um, a little pre introduction where I, I preview the episode and the guest and the topics. Um, I actually decided to I decided to kind of um, skip that moving forward and just jump on in, uh, change things up a bit in twenty twenty two. Just because I don't know, I received some feedback. Uh, I meant uh, I mentioned in previous episodes like uh, I, I read the reviews for the pod, so if you guys. Um, uh, write something in, in the review or, or uh, tweet something. I'm I'm gonna see it, and I know that a few people were like, "Oh, the theme song's a little bit long." And I listen to a lot of podcasts in my free time, and there are very few podcasts that have like long, drawn out themes. Like it's usually like a two second, you know, like a five second um, little blip, and then they go in. Or, or a lot of shows just like just like start. It's like, hey, like what's up? And that's the beginning of the show. So uh, I I am gonna try this out for <clears throat> at least a couple episodes and see if. Um, see if this works, you know. But yeah, I hope everyone's doing well, staying healthy. This is being recorded um, in the middle end of January 2022. COVID is is peaking right now, the Omicron variant, which meant that for a lot of us, like our holidays and our New Year's were spent uh, either with family kind of lying low or um, without family, which which is kind of sh- a shitty way to start to, you know, end 2021 to start 2022. I'm actually going to be... Um, uh, my my final semester of law school is going to be starting online, and depending on how things shape up, it might be online for most of the semester, which is crazy because this is, and this is something I've said in the pod before, this is likely, probably, almost definitely my last ever year of schooling, right? Like you have high school and, and elementary school, intermediate school, high school, and then uh, college, and then either you do like a, a graduate degree, a law degree, a medical degree, um, a doctoral degree, something like that. And so it, it's just interesting that like my last year of, of formal schooling ever, and it's going to be behind a computer. Um, although th- this episode is going to be coming out in, um, in late February, February 25th. So, I mean, at that, th- at this point when the episode airs, I'll know if we're going to be online, um, you know, in person or, or, uh, remain online, um, if we're going to be in school in person or if we're going to re- remain online for the remainder of the year. Uh, as of now, like I said, mid-late January, <clears throat> we're, we're going to be online. So it is what it is. You know, uh, hopefully, you know, every time you think that, that COVID is in the rearview mirror, it creeps back up. Um, so I wanted to – so in this episode, I wanted to talk about uh, a film, actually, believe it or not. And for longtime listeners of the pod, you'll know I am a certifiable film geek um, I have my Rick's Rex system of rating and reviewing movies. It's got to be like three, four, five hundred movies long, maybe even longer. Um, just movies I've seen in the last like ten years or so. But the reason why I decided like to take one movie and uh, create a whole episode around it is because it, it's it's a movie that uh, depicts something that's really important to me, and that's that's climate change. Um, the movie is Don't Look Up. Uh, it was released on Netflix at the end of 2021. And it, it um, basically portrays the event surrounding an asteroid that's going to be um, allegedly hitting Earth within six months. And these two astronomers are sort of warning the world about the um, oncoming, uh, the oncoming meteor. 
uh, asteroid, and nobody believes them. And the movie is uh, supposed to be an allegory for climate change. Uh, my friend Stephanos, who I speak with in this episode, talks about how it's also sort of a metaphor and, and a parallel uh, to COVID and the COVID response. So I, I did want to kind of flesh out the the themes in the movie. I wanted to talk about like whether or not it was feasible from a mechanical and, and a, a physics and um, engineering perspective, um, whether or not like we should be worried about asteroids and comets. Uh, colliding with Earth, and so to have this conversation, rather than bring on, you know, rather than bring on like an academic or, or, or someone immersed in the field, I figure I I'm very I'm very fortunate in that one of my best friends, Stephanos Axios, who's been on the podcast before, is an aerospace engineer who actually does work kind of tangentially related uh, to some of the things depicted in the film. So I figured I would talk to him about Don't Look Up, um, and sort of flesh out like my feelings about the effectiveness of the film's portrayal um an analogy to climate change and and you know his thoughts on like feasibility and things like that um so stick around after the episode as usual i'll be doing a debrief probably shorter than usual um with some important takeaways from the conversation and i think that's it so without further ado my conversation with my close friend and aerospace engineer stefanos axios habits nervous to welcome axios stefanos thanks ricky so i'm just Start off by saying I'm not going to be doing it backwards. Not 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 going to be speaking backwards <laughs> on this podcast. I uh, wanted to give you a. Spe- if, if that's all right. Yeah, man. I wanted to give you a special introduction just because you're one of our our distinguished guests. You've actually been on the pod, what like like twenty or thirty times already. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I I, I feel like it's a it's a part time job. I mean, yeah, like you've. I think I think. Uh, Speaking realistically, I think it's like five or six episodes you've done. On, we've done aging, space exploration, how everything could give you cancer, automation, plus a number of bonus episodes. You might be the only person to ever be on um, Nervous Habits episodes every year, right? 2019, 2020, 2021, and now 2022. Every year has featured at least one episode with that nose. Every year I'm trying to be an expert in something else, so I appreciate you uh bring me on to talk to people about it yeah and i'm curious you know how many fan interactions do you average on the day like when you go to you know subway restaurant you get your tuna foot long or, or you, you uh you know you, you have you have a taxi in new york uh do people recognize uh, you in the streets i i try to keep a low profile with respect to that so yeah, if, if somebody is giving me a look and it's because they recognize me i, I, I try to get away you know yeah uh, not not a, not a big uh celebrity kind of person but, well it is an audio podcast so i'm sure maybe like if they heard your voice you'd be more distinguished um true so for <laughs> listeners yeah for listeners of the pod um who maybe are less familiar you know they're wondering who you are so steph uh is is a homeless guy who lives in the bus stop <laughs> across from my <laughs> across my building i had a nice conversation with him about um about space exploration one day i figured i'd bring him on no he's a he's an aerospace engineer and steph what exactly what exactly does that mean for folks who, who maybe don't know what the hell you do yeah so aerospace engineers they, they can do a lot of things they can work on the rockets they can work on the satellites they can work on the small instruments that go into a satellite um you know they can do orbital dynamics they can build robots to you know do uh, terrestrial missions on mars and the moon for example I'm, I'm focused on the satellite side so i'm building satellites that take images of uh earth of jupiter saturn and you know any, anywhere else that uh, nasa wants to send them 
Okay, so so it's interesting, you know, you bring up satellites. As you know, in the pod, I like to dumb things down for listeners. People are probably wondering, you know, uh, if, if they were asked what the purpose of a satellite is, they probably couldn't tell you. So for people listening, don't have a background. What, why send satellites to Jupiter? What, you know, why are we concerned with this? I guess bottom line is, you know, there's only so much you can learn about uh, something that far away when we're here on Earth. So a satellite is really, is just an instrument for um, measuring things close up. So we're sending satellites to Jupiter to take images, um, for example, and, and that's just to understand you know, what does the surface look like. Um, in some cases, they have instruments on board to understand what the contents of the atmosphere are like. Um, and think things of that nature. Yeah, but let me ask you, why why do we need a satellite to take that imagery? Couldn't we just have one of the, the uh, astronauts go up with his iPhone 11 and, and take it in portrait mode? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you could it could take six to eight years to get <laughs> to get to Jupiter if you want to sign up for that. Um, you think, do you think about be exposed to like an incredible amount of radiation, not to mention loneliness? <laughs> all right. So 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 putting aside all that, if I pitch this pitch this to Shark Tank, you think I could patent it? Uh, no. <laughs> Why not? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, no one's ever come up with this. Well, first of all, it's not even a, uh, it's not even a product. You're just like suggesting an idea that you send a person somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> billion, billion dollar idea. Um, so, so I think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of interest and curiosity in the last year or two about um, not, not only the question of whether or not there's life uh, outside of earth, but also like, um, you know, what sort of interaction our planet is going to have with, with other space objects. You, you know that I had Avi Loeb, astrophysicist Hassan. We talked yeah, about, that's so cool. We talked about life um, outside of Earth, and, and that was a, an enthralling conversation. But today I want to talk to you about um, the Netflix film Don't Look Up. Uh, so have you, seen, have you seen this movie? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I saw um, it about a week ago. So when I saw this film... Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, all-star cast, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Ariana Grande. Um, I think Timothee Chalamet was in there, but I'm not, I'm not a fan. But a lot of talented people were involved. Don't forget, I, don't forget Meryl Streep. Oh, uh, the, you know, amazing. She's, she's like, amazing. She doesn't have to say anything. She wins an Oscar. Um, yeah. Listen, I think that is incredibly talented cast involved in the movie, but the, the film has garnered a lot of um, attention about the prospect of um, not just like space exploration, but also uh, the feasibility of, you know, uh, 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 of something like this happening. And for people that haven't seen it, um, well, what, why don't you explain, Steph, for, for people that haven't seen the movie, what's, what, what is it all about? I guess in short, it's it's a it's a movie about Earth being confronted by an asteroid on a collision course with Earth, with the potential for a mass extinction event. Um, and and the movie just follows you know, brilliant scientists trying to convince uh, the world governments to take that threat seriously. Um, and, and it's it's a real challenge. All right, so it's it's I, you know beautiful synopsis, w wonderful job, Steph, and and I guess I want to ask you, you know, watching the movie, um, they did consult with actual scientists, but there were numbers of questions about their accuracy. So right off the bat, you're an aerospace engineer, you're an expert, the best of the best. Um, first question is, how feasible is this? Like, should people that saw the movie don't look up? Should they be worried about a comet approaching Earth and and um, you know, generating a mass extinction event? Yeah, so I guess um, it, it, it really depends, right? So the, the Earth is being impacted by asteroids at pretty high frequency on, on a daily basis. And these are pretty small asteroids. You know, it, it seems like an asteroid less than 10 meters is really not a threat. So that, that would just burn up in the, uh, in the atmosphere. Now, the asteroid that was in the Don't Look Up, that, that's really 
you know, being that it's, it's characterized as a cataclysmic event, that that's maybe 12,000 meters in diameter, which is equivalent to about 120 football fields. Um, now, should people be worried about that? Not really, because it's not, it seems like the, the odds of some an impact uh, asteroid that size uh, happening is around one in 50 million. Um, and, and that makes sense. It, the last time the Earth was impacted by one of those was 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs went extinct. So for, for an impact of that size, no, I don't think we should be worried. But uh, for something smaller and still catastrophic, you know, there is some concern. You know, the 100 meter asteroids, the diameter or the length of a football field, those uh, those happen a few times every 500 years. And in fact, in our lifetime, I just did a quick back of the envelope calculation. There's a 15% chance in our lifetime that uh, one of these 100 meter uh, asteroids might impact Earth. And, and, and it's really happened already in the last 100 years. All right. A few examples of that. Buddy, you're, you, I think you're, you're, blowing, you're blowing some minds right now. So we got to slow down and unpack some of this. So the first, thing sure, you yeah. said, the first thing you said, which was really interesting, you said there's a one in 50 million uh, chance that this could happen. So number one, how are you calculating that? And number two, what would be the equivalent odds, right? Is that like the odds of me? walking across the street and, and it's like string theory, like, like suddenly I, I, you know, end up in China or something like that. So yeah, should, I, I should uh, be specific. So it, the, the odds in one, in any one instant is one in 50 million. That, that's in an instant, the odds in a human lifetime, if we say that's uh, uh, 77 years. So the odds of something that big hitting our earth is around a one thousandth of a percent or one ten thousandth of a percent. Um, very, very small. So to, to, to put that into perspective, yeah. So again, that's one in 50 million at this very instant that that happens over the course of a human lifetime, 77 years, that's uh, yeah, a tenth, uh, what one ten thousandth of a percent. So, so yeah, so what would be like an equivalent like uh, likelihood of odds? So it's to give people a sense. Yeah, of, yeah, uh, that's, inter- that's an interesting question because I, you know, instantane- at an instantaneous point in time, one in 65 million, uh, which is consistent with, uh, when the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. Now, over the course of a human lifespan, which is 77 years, that's more like one in 650,000. Um, now, so that's obviously it, it's 77 t- uh, times more likely uh, mm. than in an instant. Um, and, and that's, I guess, for context, that's about the same odds that you as an individual get killed by a shark in your lifetime. Now, this is just a very rough back of the envelope calculation, but for context, it's very, 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 very unlikely. Right. The envelope, the back of the envelope. Well, listen, you know, one in 50 million, it's 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 not nothing. I mean, the odds of I think I was reading the other day. Uh, I don't know if you play the lottery, but the odds of the, winning the Powerball, it's like a six hundred thirty million dollar jackpot. One in two hundred ninety two million. So you have what, like a five, six times higher chance of being killed instantaneously by an asteroid as you do winning the Powerball jackpot. That should be the Powerball's new, new, new slogan, you know? Uh, you're, you're, you're better off praying for an asteroid because you're not winning this shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you know, so, so you mentioned one in fifty million chance um, of of a cataclysmic event like this asteroid. But let me ask you, you, you know, you also said the asteroid the asteroid killed the dinosaurs sixty five million years ago. I remember reading in school um, that. The, the cause of death of extinction of the dinosaurs was, was unknown. They hypothesized at least, again, this was like a thousand years ago because I'm old, but um, they hypothesized that it might have been a disease. It might have been like a climate event, like another ice age. Um, how do you know with any degree of, of certainty that there was an asteroid event 65 million years ago that wiped out the dinosaurs? Yeah, so I mean, the, yeah, there, there was, I think, some uh, 
conflict among scientists about the, the real reason that, that dinosaurs did indeed go extinct until at some point they discovered this crater um, in the, near the Gulf of Mexico. I think it's called the Chicxulub crater mm -hmm. and it marks the site of uh, the impact of a major asteroid that struck earth 66 million years ago which is i think based on fossil evidence of when the you know the dinosaur line uh disappeared um so it just seems like uh you put two and two together it seems like there's some good likelihood that that extinction was caused by some impact to earth Right. Occam's razor, simplest explanation. And then, you know, what do we say to those people out there who, who haven't been vaccinated, who, who don't believe in dinosaurs uh, when confronted with this scientific evidence? Would you just would you just tell them, you know, it's, it's uh, Shiksulub's uh, crater? <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> um, just to point them to Shiksulub's in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Right, right. Are we saying that right? Let me let me check the Google de definition. Shiksulub crater pronunciation this is an important thing for listeners how to say chicksulub's uh, pronunciation everyone all ears sorry guys this, this is a uh, captain <laughs> america and shield here, here we go here we go i can't hear it ricky it, it's it's literally it's literally a minute long video um and he's like explain here ready you should be able to hear it now everyone listen chicksulub chicksulub crater all right, so Chicxulub. So the Chicxulub crater um, is proof of the dinosaur 65 million years ago. Um, so let, let you know. Let's get let's get back on track here. If a comet did did hit us and cause an extinction event, you know what exactly would happen? Like how would we die? I, because this to me is is very very interesting. Like in the movie, um, and please, if you haven't seen, don't look up. I want you to jump ahead. Uh, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, a minute or two, but. Towards the end of the movie, um, it's you know they show how a comet, uh, you know, asteroid would actually kill you. It would, it would actually lead to in the movie a massive tidal wave killing us. Um, is that what you believe would happen, aerospace engineer Axios? And is that what you think happen, happened to the uh, dinosaurs? Yeah, I mean, so an an event as cataclysmic as uh, that movie, it would probably be you know, incredibly hot. Um, major shock waves, you know, huge tidal waves, as, as the movie kind of uh, suggests. Um, probably, maybe because this was more close to land, at least the dinosaur impact, it, it was probably less tidal waves and more, uh, you know, heat and uh, shock waves and the, the death of, I guess, plant life, which may have over some period of time uh, it led to the dinosaur's extinction. So, heat, shock waves, and then you mentioned uh, tsunamis. So I'm curious. I'm curious the tsunami part because that's something that, that, that the movie um, dwelled pretty heavily on. So take me through. You mentioned, I think, that it's 120,000 football fields, right? Is that what you said? The, 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 um, size yeah, so the, the size of the asteroid in that movie would have been 120 football fields or so. 120. And at least so, that's consistent with the dinosaur uh, extinction. So let's, so let's say it, it strikes somewhere in, in, in East Asia or something, right? 120 yeah. football fields hits, hits Japan or something like that. How is that going to, you know – create tidal waves and tsunamis that are going to affect the population of the Americas five, 10,000 miles away. How, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, in that case, I don't think a tsunami would necessarily affect people on the other side of the, the world. I think it would just be, you know, other impacts. Yeah. You have dirt and soot and things like that getting up into the upper atmosphere and, and, and preventing the sun from uh, you know, shining down on plant life. And then that, that uh, destroys, you know, the, the food that dinosaurs are eating, for example. So, yeah, I, I don't think a tsunami on one side of the world will necessarily impact the other side. 
So it would be um, it would be a slow demise for for people in the American. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there there are events that are speculated. You know, a single event that would kill everything, and that's really. I guess you'd have to be ten times bigger than the asteroid in that movie. Um, that's all life. That's a a thousand football fields in uh, diameter. Um, so that, it, that would be instant death. What I'm hearing from you is it comes down to luck in terms of where you are on the planet, right? Like if in the movie. Um, again, spoiler, jump ahead, yada, yada. Um, it seemed like the tsunamis wiped out the population of – I think they were in America, right, in, in the movie? And so yeah. um, the people in, in America would have been, I guess, drowned to death or, or the water impact would have killed them. And the people on the other side of the world, there would have been that dirt and soot affecting their food supply and their access to the sun. Is that correct? Exactly. And, and I'm sure that, again, to the point of like slow death, it would uh... – prompt you know major climate change again also in the relative near term too so so you know again to the point of things getting into the upper atmosphere you'd, you'd have the earth heating up the caps probably melting and sea levels rising super accelerated climate change maybe um and that would accelerate the the, the extinction of uh, humans on other side of the earth so so i mean what would you prefer and to those listening would you prefer to be uh, wiped out in the tsunami immediately or, or the slow and painful death from dirt and soot and climate change uh what is soot, I'll, by the way? I've never heard of soot. Uh, I don't even know. It's just like I think you up. call you call that uh, the stuff that's in like an old chimney soot, right? Like, uh, it's, a black, it's probably... powdery, or flaky substance sounds like Jeremy Factor, uh, consisting <laughs> largely of amorphous carbon. So I mean, you know, I, I've never heard soot. Let's see how that's pronounced. Soot. Soot. I'm gonna call it soot. So uh, <laughs> the the soot um, or the uh, tsunami. What do you think would be the better way to go? Uh, I, I, again, I, I think, uh, the soot, man, like there's, there's a chance, you know, maybe, maybe uh, maybe you could take a rocket just like the survivors in that movie did, right. You know, the, the, the upper elite and to and get off planet, go off and, world to the moon. And we'll, even. and we'll get to that and later. Wait it out, wait it out. Wait it out. And we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. So, so tsunamis, thermal, um, shock, what is a shock wave? Um, just like imagine, uh, you know, ripples on a pond, right? It's just, uh, it's just the impact hits earth and you have ripples about the earth. Uh, you're kind of like an earthquake. It's just going to, it's going to be earthquakes all over the planet. So, I mean, I guess that that's another major problem is you're going to, you know, excite a ton of earthquakes all over the globe. So people will probably feel that on every side uh, and you know, all of the surface. Okay, so so there would be some sort of seismic event. So those listening who took geology or earth science, um, something to do with tectonic plates. I, I don't know. I stopped paying attention. That was ninth grade. I was going through a lot, and um, and that was a, a, a key key cause of demise. Um, and okay, so that's that's if a comet hits us. But the movie, I did the movie portray a comet or an asteroid, and and, and what's well, it, it what, was what's a, the, I what's the difference. It, yeah, I mean, so a comet, a comet, and an asteroid, they're both just you know rocks that orbit the sun and then the only difference i believe is that the comet has a, an icy tail that you can see um that as, as it orbits our sun and i don't remember if there was a, an icy tail i think there was because i think people were able to see it pretty readily on the ground and, um, what, and what is it composed of the comets and the asteroids uh just you know normal minerals you know iron uh carbon um it's just a you know giant stone and those vapors are probably you know, uh, water, maybe uh, methane. Um, yeah, it, it, it's nothing 
you know that doesn't exist on earth okay um so why okay so so would there be just just to return to to the question here would there be a a, a difference in in the um the sort of the magnitude of the events if it was a comet or an asteroid it would be basically the same basically be the same it's it's it seems to primarily just be a function of its size that its size will determine how fast it's coming at the earth and obviously it's mass so you've got mass and acceleration and that's your force okay and that's and, the impact and, and you said earlier you're talking about the odds and one in 50 million and all that um yeah but but i think you might have alluded to uh comets and asteroids hitting the earth with some frequency so like right now you know it's 5 30 at night eastern time new york time boston time um on a uh, friday evening as we speak are there comets and asteroids hitting the earth how, how common is this how often does this happen it's extremely common but but like i we talked about earlier really an asteroid uh has to be greater than 10 meters in diameter uh to really pose a threat anything under that and it, it uh disintegrates in the earth's atmosphere and really anything over that anything over 10 meters maybe between 10 and 30 you know while it gets through the atmosphere it gets burned up quite a bit so it's much smaller uh pieces of uh of asteroid that are going to impact the earth now what's what i guess might be concerning is you know, uh asteroids of the size 100 meters or greater and that's a that's a you know football field uh in size in size and, and asteroids of that size are capable of destroying entire you know, entire cities um, and those are, those are, there's a pretty decent likelihood that we have one of those events within our lifetime. I think it's one in 500 likelihood at any one instant and about 15% uh, chance of taking place in our lifetime. Wait a second. So you heard it here first, folks. There's a one in 500 chance that sometime in your life, lifetime, an entire. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's one in 500 at any instant in time, like this very moment. But over the course of your lifetime, it's a 15% chance. Okay. That so you have got you. a city killer size asteroid uh, enter the Earth's atmosphere. And it's not, it, it's not like it hasn't happened before. There are a couple of events the Tunguska event in Russia in 1908. That was a uh, hundred meter diameter asteroid, and it it uh, I think it was the equivalent of explosion of around fifteen megatons, which is around six hundred uh, Hiroshima big boy atomic bombs, and and that that flattened I think the equivalent of thirty eight Manhattan's in terms of square mileage, and so again that that really only happened a hundred years, you know, a little more than a hundred years ago, so fifteen uh, percent chance. Within a lifetime, it could it could very well happen in our lifetime, Ricky. Just hopefully it hits the ocean. And oh, I mean, hopefully we live short lifetimes then to de decrease the, uh, the likelihood, <laughs> right? Well, well. So right. you know, earlier you had said something about how small for small comets and small asteroids they disintegrate, they burn up in the atmosphere. So this might be kind of a chemistry question. Um, I'm I'm hitting you with everything today. How does that work? Like, why does a and for people listening who who also don't have a background in aerospace engineering, like why does does a space object burn up when it enters the Earth? Like, like what precipitates that? Yeah, I mean, so it's just if I were to, you know, guess this is outside of my field. Um, you know, you have this asteroid accelerating through the atmosphere at an extremely uh, high high rate of acceleration, right? And it's there's a lot of friction between that asteroid and the upper atmosphere gases, and that friction turns to heat, and that heat has a tendency to uh, promote cracking, maybe in that meteor. I mean, cracks exist in all stone and rock materials, 
and and so that 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 heat can create stresses in the material, and that that stress can can break that asteroid. So, real bottom line is it's accelerating very quickly throughout the atmosphere, and there's a lot of friction with the upper atmosphere gases that are heating it up and and threatening to crack crack right. the meteor. But then what, I mean, what happens to it when it gets to the ground? Like, does it, does it turn to ash and dust or is it literally like completely disappear? You know what I mean? Or it depends on the size of the asteroid. Yeah. It depends on the size of the asteroid. The small ones, less than 10 meter, they, they don't make it to the ground. They just, you know, if they, if they do make it to the ground, they, they make it to the ground in the, in the form of uh, small pebbles. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's not that bad. So <laughs> Although also, that's yeah. the major city ones, those ones make it down and, uh, 37 Manhattan's the equivalent of damage. So you're telling me that, that, you know, my dog Penny, when she goes to take a poop on a nice pile of pebbles next to my building, she's pooping on a couple of, of deceased asteroids. Oh yeah, definitely. Ancient asteroids for sure. Um, I mean, the earth is what four, 4 billion years old, you know, 4 billion years of stone sitting our planet. I'm sure it's a lot of it is, uh, some fraction of it is from outer space. I mean, it all is, but I, I love that. I learned that I learned something today. You're hitting us with truth bombs, literally. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about what exactly can be done in, in an event like this. Cause I mean, the whole movie, the, the point of the movie was like how, um, the scientists, Leo and, and Jennifer Lawrence were, you know, had these, these plans to, uh, to obliterate the asteroid and the government wanted to do its own thing. Um, so I guess, you know, if, if there was a cataclysmic event, you know, an asteroid the size of, of the one featured in the movie, uh, would it be as simple as sending a nuke up there to blow it up or breaking it into many pieces? What what exactly would the protocol be? Yeah, so NASA, so I guess to the movie's credit, there is a, a department within NASA called the NASA Planetary Defense uh, Department or some, something or other, something like that uh so that that is very much accurate now they're not very funded very much i think they're like four million a year it's some very small amount of money and anyway their job is to uh you know uh look look around the earth and try to uh count and and, and uh, understand all the uh asteroids that might be threatening to, to our planet um so in the event that we do find one that is on a collision course with earth we would indeed have around six to twelve months to uh, to to catch, you know, I guess, wind of it, to, to understand that it's on a collision course with Earth. So there is a six-month lead time. Now, so to the movie's credit, they got that. It seems like they got that right. Uh, now, would we would we necessarily hit it with a nuclear bomb? I don't think so. It, it, it seems like the consensus opinion is you with that much lead time, you really just want to redirect the uh, trajectory of that of that uh, meteor. Um, so you, you can send something at a very high speed uh, that won't penetrate the meteor and, and just hits it with enough force to uh, change its trajectory so that it, it, it does veer away from the Earth. And, and, and we have asteroids passing by the Earth all the time, you know, possible you know, planet killers, but, but they are just they're in an orbit that's not uh, uh, in line with the Earth's orbit. So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't think we'd send any thermonuclear explosions at an asteroid. I think we'd probably try to reroute it, reroute its trajectory. Th that's so interesting to me. So it's almost like just push it somewhere else, you know, like uh, like put like you know let the other Earth take care of it. Um, I'm wondering why the movie didn't didn't explore that option. Is it you know is that the consent? I it's, it might be hard for you to say because you're not part of the planetary defense program. Sorry, buddy. But um, <laughs> it was that not the consensus or, or, you know, did the scientists that consulted the movie actually think like, hey, this is what actually would happen. You know, it could have also been sensationalism like, oh, this would make for a better storyline. 
I would I would have to bet that it's mostly for sensationalism only because going on the uh, JPL NASA website, John Hopkins uh, Physics Lab website, they, they do have some uh, you know commentary on on you know what they would do if they did find that there was a planetary killer approaching Earth, and it, it says it does indeed say that for the majority of large uh, asteroids, they would try to do something that redirects it, and and the large reason is because if you do hit it with a thermonuclear bomb, it, say you uh, take a thousand meter uh, uh, in diameter asteroid and, and you break it up into 10 pieces. Now you have a hundred football, uh, 10 football fields approaching earth. So that's really not that much Exa- better. Yeah. Exa- you got 10 football fields and those each football field can take out a major city. And then they also, now you have a higher likelihood of impact. Maybe the thousand meter was going to land in the, uh, middle of the Indian ocean or something. Instead you have 10 football fields and two out of 10 hit, uh, Shanghai and New York city or something. Exactly. And, and that's, that's kind of where the movie lost me. Um, and I, I think some of the criticism online says the same thing. The whole idea, like we'll talk about the politics of it later on, but the idea that this guy Isherwell and his company are going to send 32 little, um, I don't remember what the name of the instrument was, but break them up into 32 smaller asteroids that will hopefully like burn up or something. But it's exactly like you would say, it, 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 they would end up creating you know, 32 large with the potential to wipe out cities as opposed to just one big one. It doesn't seem like it's pragmatic. It also seems like it would, it would guarantee an impact with like a major, you know, part of the Earth's surface. If you, you break it up into so many, you know, still big asteroids, there's just a higher probability of a cataclysmic impact. But so yeah, pu- so I agree. Pushing it somewhere else. And you said high speed. Would it, Would that be like a rocket? Would that be a satellite? Would that be like, you know, uh, like, like a nuclear, like a big boy, like a fat man? Is that, is that what it's called? What would be, what, what, what are we sending up there exactly? So basically, Ricky, to your, to your, to your question, you, and NASA's really already addressing this. So they're, they're looking at, they're actively looking to understand with how much force might they need to impact an asteroid to uh, change its trajectory so it doesn't hit Earth. So really, that's a, a, an exercise in calibration. So uh, what they're doing is we, we have a known asteroid somewhere in space. And we're going to take a, a spacecraft on Earth, launch it at 17,000 or so miles per hour uh, at, this, uh, at this asteroid, and then measure how much the trajectory of that asteroid changes. And based on that, you can kind of just scale up or down and understand, you know, if, if the asteroid is two times bigger, you know, do we need to, cal- do we need to increase the, uh, the mass of the spacecraft by a factor of two or three or whatever to change the trajectory so it doesn't hit Earth or so on and so forth. So it's it's a spacecraft. It wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a bomb of any kind. It would just be something that's go on a collision course with that asteroid. But what's interesting to me about about the movie is I'm curious: is there ever a point where the asteroid becomes so close to the Earth's atmosphere that you can't really do anything about it? Because I remember towards the end of the movie, again, spoiler alert, just jump ahead. I mean, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the movie, but um, or you probably don't have plans to see it. Towards the end of the movie, after Isherwell's mission failed, the 32 bombs, and then he, he went to another planet, everyone just kind of put their hands in their pockets and they were like, "Well, we're kind of fucked, right?" Like, is that? Accurate, Stephanos, that if the asteroid gets too close, it's like basically too late for us to push it away or blow it up, right? Like, 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 why? Yeah, why, I yeah. mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's just like, uh, you know, the further it is from Earth, the smaller you have to change its trajectory to, to make ensure that it doesn't hit Earth. Now, if it's, you know, within a few million miles of Earth now, uh, 
then you really have to hit it with quite a bit of first to change its angle such that it doesn't hit the earth. So you, it, it, the movie at the very end when their plan failed and the asteroid was within, I don't know, 12 hours or something of hitting the earth. Yeah, a, a deflection mission is impossible at that point. There's just, uh, you, you'd have to create something that's just not feasible uh, something that's so big and moves so fast to change its angle so um, significantly. Again, but people are wondering, man, like, what if we had every space shuttle on Earth, you know, like millions of space shuttles, every country joins forces, and we're all just like, push! That that wouldn't be enough at that point? No. Really? So, I don't think so. No way. <laughs> I think so, at that point, you have to go with the thermonuclear... Uh, uh, you know, last ditch effort and try to try to blow it up into, you know, a, a few small pieces. And if you can do it in a few small pieces and get, maybe make it so that they are directed towards the oceans of earth, maybe you have a chance. But, but you thought that was accurate at the end of the movie where everyone kind of knew, do you know the whole thing of like, don't look up, just look up. And then the people just looked up and they were like, we were lied to. And then they started rooting, uh, rioting and looting. Um, you think it was accurate that they just put their heads down there? You don't think there's anything that anyone could do? Like, like how would the governments react? You mean, you mean beyond beyond a nuclear bomb breaking it up into pieces? Well, I mean, would would a nuclear bomb like like would that be a, an extinction event? I mean, it, it would. Uh, I guess it would do what we talked about. It would break it down into ten football fields. Ten major cities would be hit really hard. Uh, Maybe it would minimize. Maybe it would be minimize it. It would like, turn it from a, an extinction event into just like a huge, unbelievable catastrophe. Hey, I mean, it's population control, right? <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's. But no, I mean, isn't like what would happen in that scenario? Do you really think? I guess this is outside of engineering, but like, do you think that people would just kind of wait to die? That there wouldn't be some of there wouldn't be like a euthanization procedure, or like people wouldn't just take like a suicide pill or something? I don't know. I mean, in an event like that, I mean, does. You wonder, do underground shelters, do those have any validity? Right. Uh, yeah. You know, getting everyone on, um, you know, transporting everyone to the other side of the planet, you know, yeah. 12 hours in advance and putting them in underground shelters. Would, would that help? I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe See, the shock, the shock waves sound pretty devastating because you'll have earthquakes all over the globe. So, but like, uh, but like that, here's that a, might preclude it. Here's another thing. And, and, and I'm just coming up with so many ideas as we're talking. If we we just discovered right now on this pod an, an armchair engineer and an aerospace engineer that the tsunamis would only impact one side of the globe and the other side would be basically fine, except for the soot, the suit and the dirt and the shockwaves so, and the, the shockwaves. Earthquakes. But what if we had every and the, air- the heat, the heat and climate change and things like All that? Right, but yeah, but what, it wouldn't be immediate. It probably would be an immediate death. But what if we had every airplane in the world and they took all of the people, let's say that it was in East Asia, we took all the people from East Asia, we put them on the planes and we flew them to the Americas. If they're in the air, they're probably safe from the, uh, if they're really high up, they're probably safe from the asteroids, right? I think you'd probably make, uh, you'd have acoustic wa- uh, acoustic shock waves. You'd have huge waves within the air, just sound waves that would probably take those planes down. Really? Um, Even if they're on the, like 10,000 miles away? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you could probably do a back of the envelope calculation to 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 understand that. In like Dude, you must minutes. have you must have one hell of an envelope if you're calculating. Yeah. They should have consulted you on the movie back of the envelope yeah. in Axios. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's just interesting to me. I'm just I'm I'm kind of thinking because in the movie, it, it, what was so dark and, and sad about the ending, and we'll get into that later on, is they just were sitting around waiting to die, right? Like it's it's hard to believe that every citizen of the world, eight billion people, would just sit with their families at dinner and wait to die. That like there wouldn't be some sort of mobile of like let's get everyone to the, like why not just put everyone on a boat oh, i guess a boat would be bad but if not a plane like some sort of shuttle or put them on the roads you know what i mean 12 hours is a long time something could have been done yeah maybe 
Um, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm just airing out. But I want to talk to you about the really the I, I mean, you know, we've talked so much about the mechanics of, of um, what would happen in an asteroid attack, a comet attack. But that's not even what the movie was really about. The movie, as you know, was written as an allegory for climate change. Um, mm-hmm. And many criticized it as being too heavy handed. It wasn't subtle. This giant asteroid that's going to obliterate mankind is an analogy for you know, the slow moving impacts of climate change. But what do you think? I mean, do you think that this ended up being an effective metaphor for viewers? I don't, I personally don't think so. I, I think, and the reason being, I, I think I thought the metaphor is really great. And I think uh, we need that metaphor. Um, but I think, I think the overall quality of the movie was bad and not entertaining. Um, that I don't think it's going to have the, I personally might be, I don't think it's going to have the impact that they wanted it to have. I, I think they maybe would have been better off with a more serious uh, movie like um, Day After Tomorrow or uh, you know, something Al Gore, like what Al Gore made years ago. In, in, what, Inconvenient Truth? Inconvenient Truth, maybe, well, but more maybe more entertaining. I just think it was too, it was too much satire uh, and maybe maybe even a little bit too political uh, um, for, for people to take it seriously. I mean, I'm going to respectfully disagree, man. I think, I think the movie to me, the number one that it conveyed, the one thing it conveyed to me is sense of urgency. Like literally, Jennifer Lawrence on the the set of the talk show saying, "We're all going to die," and literally, I mean, people like living their their final days on Earth. To me, like I watched that movie and I'm scared. And I, I guess I know it was it was um, it wasn't subtle. It was a slap across the face, but. I think, you know, I, I think that it that that worked in that, you know, the same and, and I've talked a lot about climate change in the pod before, but um, the same, uh, you know, scientific certainty that we had of, have about the asteroid in the movie, we have about the impacts of climate change on on um, on the you know ecosystems and the biodiversity and the oceans and, and um, the melting of the ice caps and the rising of the sea levels and the carbon. So I thought it was effective. Um, but okay. it sounds, it sounds yeah, like and hope, hopefully, no, hopefully more people feel that like that. Honestly, when I think about the movie more, it, it reminds me too much of like a, an SNL skit about a very serious topic that people are you know, maybe laugh through, well, uh, but don't aren't necessarily you don't necessarily take seriously. I feel like it should have had maybe more serious undertones and less attempts at being funny. Well, it's interesting that you saw that as attempts of, of being funny. I thought there were actually striking parallels between the what would happen if there was an asteroid and what did happen um and what does happen in the case of climate change like you look at the politic the politicization of the asteroid how it was like two factions just look up versus don't look up and how there was so much science denialism and 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 general inattention from the public and the media um that they paid to the comet and that people were just in such denial about it and they couldn't even wrap their mind around sort of their mortality and the, you know, the dark humor and, and the, the social media. It, don't you think that that is what would actually happen if, if today we found out that there was a cataclysmic extinction event that could take place with an asteroid? When I was watching the movie, I didn't think it was, I didn't immediately think it was a metaphor for climate change. I thought it was a metaphor for COVID. I thought it was you know, oh. drawing a you know, comparison between, you know, the, the scientists who you know, provide evidence to show that, you know, yes, indeed there are, there is a disease and we do have a vaccine that solves this problem. You know, meanwhile, we have a minority of people that are denying that. Uh, so when I first watched it, I thought that was a metaphor. Uh, and um, so do I think that we, if there was an asteroid on an impact uh, collision course with earth, would that actually happen? 
maybe more it'd be closer to what we actually experienced with covid you have a minority of people who are denying it but the majority of people would probably believe you i don't know i mean it's you know it is interesting that that you point out the comparisons to covid i think that that's that was pretty salient because that's the context that we're living in. But I, I knew that it was a climate change metaphor because um, I know the director, Adam McKay, I know that he's super active in climate change. Obviously, Leonardo, Cap- Leonardo DiCaprio is like the leading celebrity yeah. voice in that fight. Um, and I know like reading about the film, that was their goal. But I do think there's there's parallels to COVID as well. I will say, though, like I don't just speaking like my opinion, I I don't think that the majority of people, if there was an asteroid, would be like, okay, let's get on board. Let's like join, you know, you know, let, let's all be in on, on the same page. I, I think there's so much um, rejection of common sense. And there's so much like, like I said, inattention paid to science. And, um, and people are so impacted by what they see on the news. Uh, there was a scene that, that comes to mind, the scene where towards the end of the movie, where Leonardo DiCaprio snaps on the talk show set and he goes, could you stop trying to be so goddamn pleasant all the time? Do you remember that? And he's yeah, like, he's like, we're all going to die. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing we could do about it. And you don't have to, you know, sugarcoat it, whatever. And I do think that's the tendency, uh, you know, the mainstream media tries to do uh, diverting people's attention from the, from the issues because it's not, doesn't make for, for good television. And all that's to say, like, I, I thought it was pretty feasible. I thought it was pretty realistic that that's the kind of reaction that that would happen in terms of an asteroid. It sucks because I'm just thinking about like maybe another example. It seems like the U.S. It's a, didn't have that hard of a time galvanizing people to maybe enter or participate or support World War II. I, yeah, I just wonder. So it's almost like when it's a, when it's a global problem, uh, there's some apathy. But when it's a you know a country dealing with its own small issue, or well, I guess World War II, World War II was a global problem. So it's just remarkable that you know, we had such support during World War II, but we can't get support for things like COVID or, or climate change. Well, I mean, you're hitting on something also interesting. Like, why why didn't other countries get involved? Because the movie only really showed the American response. Like, wouldn't you think that? Um, I mean, the Chinese government and, and you know, the, the, the I think Chinese- the Soviet Union and uh, India or yeah, Russia, 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 Russia. Thinking, I'm thinking, Living I'm in the 90s. thinking world, I'm now I'm thinking. World yeah, I think uh, Russia and India, they, they didn't they have their own uh, mission that was going to try to uh, impact the asteroid. But then I think that tech company in the movie somehow sabotaged it. Oh, my the very God. end. There was some comments about that. Like that's maybe, I mean, maybe it was like, like, you know, an aside, but that's also something, I mean, we're sort of just uh, nitpicking the inaccuracies, but something that like stood out to me, this comet, this asteroid is going to wipe out all of mankind. Like, you know, 200 countries are all going to sit idly by waiting for America to save the day. Like, no, China, you mentioned, um, you know, Russia, India, Russia, uh, India, France, the UK, Germany, like these countries are just as powerful um, in terms of their resources as America. So it, I, I don't think they would. And, and also, like, I think they're less polarized politically, uh, and you see that in terms of COVID. Uh, so I don't think they're just going to stand by and wait for Americans to save the day. But I do think, like, watching the it's movie. The tragedy of the commons tragedy. comes to mind when I think about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Right? It's just, it's a, it's a common threat to the entire world. And, and there's, so there's some, you know, a- a- apathy and indifference. Nobody necessarily wants to get involved. And, you know, it's, you know, put all their resources towards solving the problem to the good, for the good of everyone else. But, um, but I, I also think and- seven knows that there's there's something psychological going on here. And, and you know that I talk a lot about death on the podcast because we try to keep things we try to keep things light and cheery. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I do talk about death and mortality quite a bit. Um, and I do think that people can't 
comprehend and can't conceptualize their own mortality. They can't understand that they're going to die. So when confronted with the reality, whether that be climate change or COVID or an asteroid, that your death is imminent, they don't know, like literally their brains cannot process that. So their only um, reaction, their impulse is denial, right? Denial of death, my favorite book by, by um, Ernest Becker. Uh, denial and distraction. So it does make sense that in in the context of an asteroid attack, people are just going to cover their ears, la, 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 act like they can't see. Don't look up. That's what the movie says. Don't look up. Because if they don't look up, they can pretend like the asteroid isn't coming down. That's the true denial. And I, I think that's another interesting thing that, that, that I got from the movie. Oh, totally. Yeah, I just think, again, about... Yeah, this just humans are pretty nearsighted, right? Like we spend so much money and resources and there's so much fear mongering about shark attacks when in fact it's you know one in four million chance or something that you know you 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 get attacked and killed by a shark in a year. You know, when the consequences of climate change are millions of millions of deaths and you know, huge impacts to the world, economy and whatnot. And, and, and I guess, I mean, w- one of the criticisms I, I touched on it earlier is, is the fact that climate change is so nuanced and it's such a gradual progression and there's so many factors um, and it's not something that's going to happen in 12 hours like an asteroid or six months or whatever. So people are saying this is an oversimplification of the issue. It's a false uh, analogy, things like that. And, you know, I, I do sort of see that argument, right? Um, but on the other hand, like, and this is something if, if, if you remember nothing from this episode to, uh, to the listener, remember this, there is a certainty when it comes to climate change that these impacts will take place, that in, you know, whether it be 50 years or 100 years, that large parts of the earth will be uninhabitable as a result of um, carbon emissions and as a result of irreversible damage we've done to our environment. So just as the, anal- the asteroid um, was certain, this is certain, the, the difference is with timing, but I do think there is that the certainties that are exhibited are analogous. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And also, I mean, it's just just like the you know, in the movie, you know, in the you know twelfth hour, there's nothing you can do about the asteroid hitting the Earth and destroying it. In the year 2050, there's nothing we can do about you know cumulative warming of the Earth on uh, on the order of two degrees. You have we have 28 years to to prevent that reality. You can't do it in the final year. So. Uh, you have you have some time to do it, but this, you can't do it at the last minute. I love that. I mean, you, you nailed it, man. It's like like right now in 2022, right? Like we still have some time. It's not quite you know hour 12. We're sitting at the dinner table ignoring the the shock waves, right? Um, but I mean, as you said, 2050, maybe even sooner, maybe 2030, 2040, we're going to be in that situation. Um, so I think that 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 that's also uh, you know that was a powerful message. The other thing I wanted to bring up. Something that the movie um, illustrated, which was also kind of dark and depressing, is corruption in politics. Um, though it might have been too extreme, the fact that the president of the United States literally turned around a mission to destroy the comet. Like, remember, they're in the Situation Room. They're watching the mission to obliterate the comet. This is in the middle of the movie. And then this random guy comes along, uh, Peter Isherwal. He's supposed to be a, a caricature of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And he said, wait a minute, it's worth trillions of dollars. And she turns around the mission. Like, surely that wouldn't actually happen in real life, Stephanos. I mean, you have to hope so, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I agree. Surely that wouldn't happen. I mean, I don't think you, anyone sane would say, you know, that there's, there's a night, there's a you know, 99% chance that that asteroids going to impact Earth. And, and destroy us all but hey we should take that that one percent chance and, and blow it into a few pieces to make a profit 
I don't know. It does. It doesn't. Doesn't sound sane. It, I don't think it would happen. But you know what? And 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 this is where you criticize the movie for being satirical. I would push back and I would say, look at President Trump. And 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 I know you know we don't have to get too much into politics in this episode, but like. I can sort of imagine a world, and I'm sure you can too, the listeners can, where Trump is president in the scenario and the asteroid is coming down and he, and he says, uh, you know what, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm a little angry at my TV tonight. Just, just let it, let it hit. Maybe it, maybe it'll be profitable. Maybe it'll be spite. Um, but, you, and, and you want to think that there are mechanisms in place to protect, uh, you know, to prevent that from happen- happening. But just like in the movie, I don't know, man. I don't know how hopeful I am about the lack of. I mean, under Trump, we'd have a you know big, beautiful wall to prevent us from a you know earth-shattering, <laughs> cataclysmic event. Uh, <laughs> it will have a beautiful wall, and let, let me tell you, the asteroid will come down. It'll be gorgeous. There'll be fireworks. Uh, it'll be tremendous, tremendous damage. Um, yeah. But no, big, it, big, you got a bigly asteroid. A bigly, it's big. It's huge. It's the biggest asteroid I've never seen. The other, you know, no president has ever had an asteroid this big. But you know, there are hopefully there are like. Do you know how if um the president orders a nuclear attack, the uh the head of the Pentagon or the person that's in charge of the missile, the um the nuclear briefcase, uh the football can refuse, can resign, um refuse to execute the order. Are you familiar with that? No, actually, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't so, know much about that. Yes, yeah, so, I mean all the. So if the head, the the head of the the Secretary of Defense, the head of the Department of Defense, the head of the Pentagon, um can resign if if President Trump or someone else orders um a nuke uh to be to be launched and and to me it's like you would you would hope that there'd be layer like in this case when the president played by meryl streep um you know doesn't say a word gets an oscar every time even though she's not that great or like why isn't there other channels that shut her down and say we're doing this right like like do you know what i mean it's almost like a monarchy depicted in the movie yeah i'm not sure (laughs) i mean also it didn't seem like anyone uh at least within the administration, voiced any concern over it, right? It seemed like the administration was totally with her. Where in reality, you'd probably have people within an administration trying to deem, you know, that president unfit and, yeah. and uh, you remove them from office. And that's where so ridiculous. That's where the movie veers into SNL territory, kind of to your point about like, ah, I don't know if this is like real or, or whatever, is when it comes down to like they're not having been those people um, in, you know, in her orbit. And what did you think about the portrayal of Isherwell? The, he's supposed to be like a combination, excuse me, of all the richest people of, of Zuckerberg, Gates, Buffett, Musk, and Bezos. A uh, very eccentric guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess so, like just bring it down maybe one by one. I, just uh, on the surface, Musk, I mean, I see no relation at all. I mean, M- Musk is all about making us a multiplanetary species to reduce the likelihood that we as a species become extinct, right? I mean, it, it, the big reason why he wants to colonize Mars is so that in the event there is an asteroid in a collision course with Earth, uh, the human species will continue to persist because people will be living elsewhere. So I don't think the characterization uh, of Musk bears any resemblance. Um, and Gates also, I don't think Bill Gates, because Bill Gates is just involved in so many um, you know, human welfare improving you know, efforts around the world. Um, who are the other ones? I mean, maybe Bezos, Bezos. Maybe, maybe Bezos. Yeah, maybe Bezos. He seems uh, less uh, um, altruistic, I guess, than the other two. I mean, it just I, like that. Again, like I mean, we could talk about this movie for hours, but that part of the movie also really fascinated me. How he was so much he, he uh, there was so much um, 
uh, tunnel vision when it came to media consumption and creating a product that people can use that immediately this asteroid comes to wipe out humanity. It's like, wait a second, there are minerals here that we can exploit to captivate people's attention. I thought that was also kind of realistic, even if, if not, you know, even if that precise thing wouldn't happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe there are some, um, you know, uh, tech billionaires that, that would take that stance. Uh, but I, I don't think, uh, I don't think the majority of them would definitely not Musk, definitely not, uh, Gates. I do think it's important that the movie, and I think we talked about this offline. Um, but I think it's important. The movie didn't have a happy ending because, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I would say again, without spoiling anything, but at this point we've ruined literally the entire film. For Movies, you. But yeah, ruined. I, but you know, if, if they lived happily ever after Stephanos, if they ended up blowing up the comet and then Leonardo DiCaprio got a medal of honor and, and he ended up marrying uh, whoever he was dating at the time, his, his ex-wife or whatever, um, you'd probably be sitting, you'd be like, oh, it was a nice movie. It had a nice circular ending. But the fact that, you know, ev- everyone died and the corrupt politics and, and inattention of the public, and, you know, caused the demise of the human race, that kind of makes the movie stay with you, don't you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, also, like, if they didn't die, if the they were able to be successful in that final you know, 11th hour or whatever, um, yeah, I'd think, okay, maybe we don't need to necessarily take drastic uh, measures right now for climate change. Maybe we can wait uh, until 2045 mm. or 2049. Uh, so, yeah, I think it needed to uh, show, I guess, the, the, the importance of addressing this early because there is no last minute uh, you know, measures we can take. Unless the you know carbon capture technology, there's things like that, but that stuff seems pretty uh, uh, far flung at the moment. It's interesting. No, I mean I, I couldn't agree more. I I I think you're dead on. E- even with COVID, it's the same thing. Like, oh, maybe we maybe we overreacted to this if the movie had a happy ending. Um, right. So I definitely agree with you. It's interesting to me that the movie, um, which is has engendered so much conversation, uh, like the one we're having, has you know fifty percent on Metacritic, fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's it's divisive, and I I do wonder. Some of that might be the satire and the fact that um, it wasn't accurate in a lot of ways. Some of it also might be like the divisive message. Um, so I'm wondering like why, because the movie was, you have to admit, very well acted, well written, um, very entertaining, why it hasn't received better reception. I don't know. My, my opinion might be, uh, you know, when I first watched the movie, like I said, I thought it was a metaphor for uh, the disparate covid response right so so maybe you just have some segment of the population who thought the same and the those people that thought that are you know maybe anti-vaxxers or disagree with uh you know the, the measures we took to uh solve the covid problem i, I may, maybe maybe not <laughs> because it did it did portray those people that supported uh the president meryl streep in a pretty negative light which is you know obviously uh the way it should have been portrayed but maybe people took offense to that and thought that they were being represented. <laughs> you mean the people with the pins towards the end, they're at that, con- that, that event and they're like, Hey, they lied to us. Um, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's a funny concept. Don't look up. And they look up. It's like, we looked at, you know, it's almost like bird box. Um, yeah. yeah no, also, I just, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I didn't think the comedy was done that well. I think they, they I, I think they could have just done the movie in a serious way without it trying to make it funny. Well, I didn't look, I didn't think that there was a lot of comedy. I mean, at the end where everyone died and then Jonah Hill was still waiting for his mom, like that was kind of unnecessary com- comedy. Maybe there were well, other like mo- the, I don't know, the contrived like jokes at the very beginning when they're sitting with the uh, general outside the president's office, like, come on, like the president's going to invite you and just like make you sit outside like all day. And then this, this general is going to like charge you for snacks. Like oh. I don't know, at that point, 
the movie yeah. like i was like that's a good point I, I, am i watching an snl skit or what, what am i watching here like a gen major general trying to sell people free snacks <laughs> um <laughs> it's interesting because adam mckay has done um what movies has he done? He's done the big short. Uh, he did Vice, the Dick Cheney movie, which was very good. Uh, so I think that's almost his style of telling stories with humor and, and like that narrative um, technique. But mm. I, I agree with you, actually. Come to think of it, the whole snacks thing didn't make sense to me. Like, why is he charging for snacks? It didn't. I, I, think, I think maybe it would just be a little levity in an, you yeah. know, an, an otherwise somber movie. But listen, this has been a, a really fun conversation. Um, Steph, I know we're, we're running out of steam here. Uh, I actually haven't had my requisite four or five cups a day uh, today huh. because uh, I'm currently out of creamer and I can't drink it black. So I um, – so I'm, I, you know, I'm running on, on fumes here, buddy, but you know, you, you're, it out strong. you're a, uh, you're, you're a, a, a sensational guest. Uh, listeners want to know, you know, how can they, I always say to, to guests on the pod, where can, can they go to learn more about your work, but you're a ghost. You're not on any social media. No, just, uh, just LinkedIn. I mean, honestly, hey. just, uh, keep, keep, uh, keep up with climate change news and, and news at NASA. Maybe you'll see some information about some of the satellites i launched there's you know one going to uh jupiter like i said that's it's the europa satellite and the lucy satellite um just uh i guess people can just try to be enthusiastic about that stuff don't assume these follow me so with your homo sapien hands you erected a satellite that is now going to jupiter listener what have you done today right like like you probably you know sit in bed have some craft mac and cheese uh watch another episode of uh parks and rec or whatever and (laughs) stephanos is building satellites to go on jupiter yeah no no, it's it's been fun i'll just say one uh one thing you know all this pretty uh i guess dark thought about the effects of climate change and you know our inability to address it uh you know in time I think there's a lot of um, exciting stuff that we can do over the next couple of decades uh, to prevent that two degree uh, rise in temperature. One big thing we talked about maybe on another episode is just, you know, reducing emissions by eating plant-based and, and things like that. I mean, that's, you know, agriculture, I think is like 20% of global climate change emissions or so. So absolutely. And we talked about, I've done so many episodes on, um, on either climate change or environment. And we talked about yeah. um, veganism and how eating meat, uh, is one of the ways that I mean, there there are so many, and and I'll probably after the episode I'll do a debrief and I'll talk about some of them. But um, yeah, eating eating plant based diets, even cutting out meat like one or two days a week is going to make an impact. Stefano, so sure. you said you said earlier uh, LinkedIn. So I'm just gonna you know double check. Are you on TikTok? No, no TikTok. What about uh, what about Instagram? No, no Instagram. Maybe what about, I might get a, I might get a Twitter. Or Twitter. Oh, you got to get on yeah, Twitter. I'm going to get it. I'll give it to Twitter soon. And then in the next episode, I'll give the uh, Well, the Twitter, you got to get handle. Like, I, I use Twitter. I had a bonus episode where I went through. I've had like 30,000 tweets. I've been on Twitter since 2009. <laughs> I tweet probably like 15 times a day. I wake up, I tweet. I go to bed, I tweet. It's like it's like basically keeping a journal of my life. So I recommend you get on Twitter, RickyR513. You can follow me. So you're not on Twitter, not on Instagram, not on TikTok, not on Facebook. So you're a ghost. So so people. So how do I know that you're a real person? You're not part of simulation. I'm outside of your uh, apartment. I'm a homeless guy. Remember? Well, oh, I'm just that, well, that, that, hom- I'm just that I, homeless guy outside. I was gonna say it makes sense <laughs> if, if you're if you're homeless and indigent that you don't have access to. It. So how how are you calling into the podcast right now? Uh, public library. Public library. No, I'm just kidding. It's, I, I think I think it's closing pretty soon, buddy. You should get out of there. Um, <laughs> Stevanos Axios, always a pleasure uh, talking to you, buddy. Hopefully you'll come back to the pod pretty soon, huh? Definitely, really, really fun, Ricky. Nice talking to you. Talk to you soon.
there you have it, guys. That was my conversation with one of my best friends, uh, aerospace engineer, Stephanos Axios. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about um, the you know mechanics and physics of asteroid collisions, but honestly, like the biggest takeaway from our conversation uh, is that you really don't need to worry about uh, an asteroid on a collision course with Earth leading to an extinction level event, right? Like the biggest, um, you know, the most important draw uh, from our, our our discussion is that you know has to do with the the urgency and seriousness of um, climate change and the calamity that would follow if we stay on the course we're on. And I've mentioned it at least twice in the podcast before, but uh, it bears repeating in this episode. There's a couple things that you can do um, to do your part to slow, uh, to stop, or at least to slow the impact of global warming. The most important thing you can do is talk to your friends, talk to your family, make sure people are informed and educated about this issue, and vote for elected officials on the local, state, and federal level who recognize the seriousness of this issue. That's by far the most important thing you could do. Spread the word um, and make sure people people are informed about this. The other thing, like on a day-to-day basis, you can make smart decisions. Stephanos mentioned um, eating plant-based. This is not something you need to do every single meal. Um, you know, we're not necessarily saying you, you can never eat meat again, but even cutting out meat from your diet one day a week, two days a week is, is doing your part to, cl- uh, to curb global warming. I mean, I, I, I mean, the Environmental Defense Fund says that if every American had one meat-free meal a week, it would be the equivalent of taking over 5 million cars off our road annually. And, you know, you look at something like beef. Beef produces so much greenhouse gas emissions, so much methane that that globe uh, that that warms the environment. So, you know, making decisions like that can have an enormous positive impact, um, as well as um, reducing water waste. Right? What really what really pisses me off, you know, really angers me to my core is people that leave the the sink on and then walk out of the room and then enter the room again. It's um, while they're doing dishes or brushing your teeth. People who you know brush their teeth for 90 seconds and will leave the water on the entire time even though it's not necessary. Seriously, turn off the tap water w- while you're brushing your teeth. Try to take shorter showers. I don't know. For me, like like I I'm in and out of the shower in like 10 15 minutes and I get I get everything I get everything done that I need to. So I, I don't unless you know I, I don't necessarily see why you're taking like a 60 minute shower. Actually eat the food you buy, right? Um, try to waste less food uh, because 10% of US energy use goes into growing, processing, packaging, and shipping food. So putting aside all the meat, all you know, all the issues on, on meat, you should be making effort to waste less food. So I mentioned 10% of the energy use goes into growing and processing food. 40% of that winds up in the landfill. Uh, in the landfill. So make sure you're wasting less food. Pulling out the plugs when you're not using devices. This is something that, that I'm guilty of, but but there's something called like an idle load, which is when you have like electronics that use energy even when they're not charging. Uh, and the idle load across all U.S. households adds up to the output of 50 large power plants in the U.S. So don't leave fully charged devices plugged into your home's outlets. You know, try to unplug rarely used devices or plug them into power strips and timers, things like that. Drive a fuel-efficient vehicle if you can, hybrids, fully electric vehicles. Uh, hopefully those will be more affordable in, in the coming years. Um, take public transit, right? This is all stuff you've, you've heard about before. I think overall just try to reduce your carbon footprint. And you can do that through, as I said um, earlier, like reducing waste, eating vegetables, uh, driving less, unplugging your devices, being energy efficient, things like that. And I know like this is a lot. I know I'm laying out like a lot of um, things that you can do and, and – uh, even the most virtuous person probably can't do all of these things. Like there are situations where your 
probably going to need to drive a, a gas-powered car um, or take a long shower or maybe you forget to unplug your devices. And that's fine. We're only human. Um, but even doing like a couple of these, I think, um, you know, if everyone did a couple of these, I think it would go a long way towards slowing the impact of, of climate change and kind of preventing um, the damage to our environments and to our, our plant animal species, which, you know, as, as was the case in Don't Look Up, albeit, you know, it was a little bit different with asteroids. But like right now, the, the situation we're in, the course we're on, like Stefano said in the episode, you know, you can't unring the bell, right? Like in – and that was, to me, that was the most moving part of the movie and even of our conversation is like once the asteroid was 12 hours away, like you heard Stefano say there's nothing that could be done, right? Once they reached that point and the asteroid was so large, like at that point you couldn't send a space shuttle up at 17,000 miles an hour to reroute it. Even if, you know, as he said, even if every space shuttle in the world was sent up, it couldn't be rerouted. It just is too big. It has too much momentum, too much velocity and mass and force. Um, yeah, I suppose they could have hit it with, with a nuclear bomb, but then as, as Stefano said, it would have created like 15, 20 city killing asteroids. Um, so in the context of climate change, like we don't want to find ourselves in that position where we're at the, you know, the twelve-hour mark, and there's nothing that we can do but sit in our dinner table with our loved ones and, um, you know, contemplate our demise. It's it's a dark picture uh, that the, that the movie portrays. But as I said, it's not inevitable, and there's lots that we can do to prevent that from taking place. So so just think that over, and hopefully all of you guys saw. Don't look up. I mean, it, I can't imagine like having not seen the movie and then listening to our conversation and then going back and seeing it because we did kind of spoil a lot of the the film um and then i guess if you're one of those people who like doesn't actually um like to see movies and would rather just hear about them on podcasts like if you had no intention of seeing don't look up and you just listened to us talk through the cliff notes and now you're not going to see it like that's fine too um but anyways uh really appreciate stefanos joining me um like i said he's one of the i think at this point he's um the most he's had the most appearances on the on the pod of any guest um and it's always so much fun to talk to him so next week i'm going to be speaking with award-winning writer of the book the end of craving mark schatzker about one of my favorite topics food and nutrition We'll be talking about how decades of advancements in food technology have turned the brain's drive to eat against the body and placed us in an unrelenting state of craving. I know lots and lots of people are going to be able to relate um, to our conversation. So that's coming up next on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow the pod on social media, on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore, write to the pod via email at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com and search for full episodes and clips on YouTube by searching Nervous Habits Podcast. And remember, small asteroids and comets collide with Earth's atmosphere hundreds maybe thousands of times per day. So I wouldn't lose sleep worrying about a planet killer asteroid wiping the human race out of existence. (laughs) Take care and stay nervous.